Bless you, Lord. We do thank you this day, God. Thank you that we could gather in your name. Bless you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We're grateful to be saved, grateful for salvation. And we ask you, God, that you'd pour your spirit out upon us. Lord, each and every day, Lord, we, just like you are the air we breathe, Lord, we ask you to pour your spirit out upon us this day, God. That you'd be glorified, you'd open your word to us, Lord, and we would head off in the direction of revelation and encouragement and understanding that you've called us to in these uh, critical days, Lord, on earth. Thank you that you'd call us for such a time as this, and we bless you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, if you are new, um, and we are getting new folk on, um, the, and you have my notes, the red stuff is there like every week just to tell you basic things. And the, really, the biblical bottom line, we're living in some critical days. I mean, we're getting war reports daily from people in Israel right now. And, but the bottom line, and I've said it before, but I'll say it all the time, Israel needs to get saved. That's, that really is what it comes down to. The people need their Messiah. There's only one Messiah. He is Jesus. Jewish Jesus is the Messiah for Israel. And so we'll address that today, but we're also going to be addressing some more. We're not going to be going into Daniel 9 today because there's. I want to touch again on 7 and 8 just for briefly, but then I want to go back into some circumstances that I'm sensing in my own life, but also in the lives of other people who are sort of plugged into what God is doing, or at least aware that something is happening, even if they don't know what it is, their, their antenna are receiving some kind of signal. But some of it does manifest, by the way, as the writers write, the singers sing, the preachers preach. So there's an abundance of data and intel coming out to us in these days, and some of it can be confusing, and we want to be very careful how we process that, how much time is even spent processing that, versus spending time with Jesus. Bottom line is we need to be spending time with Jesus. So we are, and in the word, those are absolutely critical. I know they sound like quick takeaways, but the reality is, is that there's such a bombardment of opinion and some, and all of us at best, Paul wrote and told us that he sees through a glass darkly. So if he's writing that, I mean, what are we looking through? So it, it really does challenge us a little bit, saying, God, we need to be hearing from you in these days. We need to be moving according to your spirit. There's a lot of opinion. I'm going to be speaking a, a bunch today on Dan Bruce and the book Daniel Unsealed, where um, he's a friend of mine. Uh, we've never met physically, but we've been online together and on extended phone calls together. We went back and forth this week. And there's things that show up, and which is why I actually sent you that excerpt this week, which is not an easy read. It's a thick, plodding read, but it's worth going through because that's his opinion. I'm extremely impressed with much of it, but there's other things which I'm not going to necessarily bring up that I don't necessarily agree with. I believe part of it is to humble us and have us know that none of us have the whole picture. But a lot of times when someone, and myself included, when you get a revelation from the Lord through study or a dream or a vision or a situation in your life, sometimes we have a tendency to just take that and say, this is it, when that's a part of it. That's the part that God purposely provided just for us. And a lot of times people are ministering with an assurance that what they have is absolutely accurate. Sometimes it's not. And so we're going to be talking again about the mysteries, about the jeopardies that um, are... Uh, occurring on earth right now, presenting themselves to us as a challenge to all of us. 
So the last time we gathered, which was several weeks ago now, we addressed Daniel 8 and reveals a second prophecy that came to Daniel the man. He received it um, as part of God's, you know, going, you know, he received it regarding the divine plans of God going forward in these days. Everything that's happening, oh, not everything, but you know, a lot of the things that are happening on earth right now are very specifically laid out in the plans of God in scripture. Some of them are mysterious. Some of them made less sense when they were written by the prophets, but make more sense to us now because we have 2,500 years of history confirming things and coordinating things. And we could, we could, again, we could look like we had in our Ezekiel study we could look and see the nations aligned around Israel right now and what makes sense that they do have a, a literally a demonic common ground that they did not have then. So we're able to look back with a little bit of a greater knowledge. And I love the way Dan speaks to that on his website. I've sent you a link in your notes today. So don't run ahead, to, but it's there for you. <coughs> so what's going on here is um, the Lord's going you know, the Lord's going to reign in Jerusalem, so time is going to keep ticking after, you know, I keep talking, people keep talking about end times, and the reality is it's not the end of time. It's the end of this age, the conclusion of this age, if, and you could say, well, the millennium's part of this age, but that, I believe, is the next age. It's a thousand-year age. I believe that it's fully supported in Scripture, but um, time is going to keep ticking throughout the millennium. So I'm not saying don't, it's wrong to use the word end times because it's end of age. And that is a very common phrase in Christian circles. It's cool, but I usually don't use it all that much. So the concluding words of Daniel 8, which we discussed last time, um, it's, it's a, it talks about um, you know, this progressive, evil, these evil empires that are going to manifest on earth throughout the course of the history of man. And they're going to culminate in this, um, in the season in which, right prior to the Lord's return. So we shouldn't be surprised at that. I mean, you sort of grit your teeth a little thinking, oh my goodness, if we're here and these things are happening, what it's, what's it gonna look like? And the answer is we'll know when we get there. We're not gonna get every answer out of scripture. There are times that are so specific in scripture, you know when the Lord wants us to know something specifically, we will know it. And there's other things that are prophetically um, vague, if you will. You know, still shrouded. In Daniel 8, it says, And in the latter time of their kingdom, a king, which is, I believe, the ultimate Antichrist, shall arise having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes, demonic schemes. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He's literally inspired demonically. He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive. And you think, well, wait, God, there's people on earth, there's saints who love you, there's ones who need to get saved, and yet this guy's going to be thriving. It's part of a plan that is bigger than any one particular person or nation's comfort zone. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. It speaks to martyrdom. Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule. And he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise. He's challenging the prince of princes. It's, it literally is challenging the saviors, challenging the absolute purpose of God. There's been people who've come along, uh, demonic rulers of demonic empires, who didn't list necessarily verbally or even in their heart think, I'm God or I'm going to be greater than God, although they perform lots of wickedness on earth. A lot of them, you know, like Mao Zedong, they, they didn't even believe there was a God. But this guy is going after the God of Israel. 
and you know, we heard something this week where even uh, Islam right now is saying, right now we're going after the Saturday people, we're going to be coming after the Sunday people. Anybody who loves the true God is a target and will be a target. And it'll be part of our challenge. And so we took this little, uh, he's going to rise against the prince of princes. But then it says to us that he's going to fall by, um, by supernatural means. So we know that, that part of what God's doing is he's setting this thing up. So when he returns, he's not, God's not on an ego trip, but the glory is his. Yeah. He will get the glory for the success of, of the final conquest. So uh, one example of a biblical confirmation, by the way, this is this whole thing. Um, you know, we took this bunny trail. Oh, he shall rise against the prince of princes. I, do I have the last verse in there? I don't think I do. Um, you, do you do below. I do below here, 25. Yes. Though his con okay, let's do that. Go down there. Skip down to 25 for a minute in Daniel 8. Through his cunning, the little horn's cunning, he shall, divide, he'll dis, he shall cause the sea to prosper in his, under his rule. He shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without human means. So he's telling us this is a supernatural victory that will be won. It doesn't mean there aren't armies. It doesn't mean you go, don't go to rescue people. It doesn't mean you don't necessarily defend yourself. But he's saying the final conquest is going to be supernatural. And then he goes on and he says to Daniel, he says, the vision and the eve of the evening and mornings, which is, was told is true. Therefore, seal up the vision for it refers to many days in the future. So back in those days, it was many days. So please don't grab onto 26 and kick the eschatological can down the road saying, because your Bible still says what Daniel heard, that means the same for you. There might not be many days in our future. I mean, common sense would even tell us that if you're reading a book that's over 2,000 years old and they talk about many days in the future, if this was the only verse we have, it sort of could imply that it's upcoming. Meanwhile, Daniel was so overwhelmed by this vision, he says it, that I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. Afterward, I rose and went about the king's business. I was astonished, stunned by the vision, but no one understood it, which means that he spoke about it to someone, maybe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Maybe he had other people of like faith. And he said, this is the vision the Lord had received, you know, the Lord had given to me. He says, but I was sick over it. It's a tough vision. And we know last week, one of the things that we looked at was the, um, the evenings and mornings, which we'll look at a little. But that is in uh, Dan Bruce's notes, and I refer you to those. I'm not going to teach Dan Bruce's notes. So if you really want to know, we spoke about it a little last week. There's, I've been online studying, I mean, even these last couple of weeks, I've been pressing into a, just a lot of research, studying the, the 2300 and there's other dates and, and measurements in the book of Daniel. And almost every site that you come to, if there's a varying, varying opinion, people present it with absolute confidence that theirs is the correct one. Dan, uh, Dan Bruce actually marked three different periods where he did this amazing Passover count, starting at the Battle of Granicus and going all the way forward to three different events that took place in modern-day Israel, 1967. Then he said, this is why it works, this is why it works, and this is why it works. Quite honestly, one of those reasons that he proclaimed why it works, um, counting from a certain day and coming up to the same number of, the correct number of mornings and evenings, or evenings and mornings, is defied by the fact that I personally, as a Jew, can't make Aliyah. 
He's saying now every Jew can make it. Well, this one can't. So I don't know that. I'm just saying that there's different situations that where everybody's so sure. I don't want to make this a get out of knowledge free card, saying since everything's sealed up, we don't have to know anything. That's never been the call on the saints. You know, people always say oh, I'm a, a pan millennialist. It's all going to pan out. And it's funny. And the truth is <laughs> they're right. But the reality is God has told us more so that we would understand what's going on in these days and at least have a general grid to point people to because we're called to be a light on, on the earth pointing people to the light of the world. And when people ask you a question, it's great to have some kind of, even the gist of where the scriptures are going. So that's what we're doing now. So going back further to our Daniel 7 study, um, here in, which is Daniel Vision 1, here's what's told him as by divine interpretation. This is an explanation at the end of Daniel 7, the ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. We covered this several weeks ago. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. So both of the Daniel, Daniel 7 and Daniel 8 were two visions progressively revealed to the man, Daniel. He was learning from these visions, and we've correlated them or, or tied them together as far as the, these uh, demonic empires. We spent a lot, good number, amount of time there, but it, we're seeing that they both say the same thing. There's a supernatural conclusion. It's going to be in God's timing. It's going to completely eradicate all this, which is why our hearts should not be failing us. It's be drawing us into this place of surrender, it should be drawing us into a place of intimacy. It should be drawing us into a place of really a gr understanding even a greater need for what God has called us into in these days. These are the days of having done all to stand truly means having done all to stand. And in the Daniel 7 uh, interpretation by this angelic being, he talks to the Antichrist, he shall speak pompous words against the Most High. That challenge against God himself is literally a trigger event to his indignation at the conclusion of the age. It also defies the concept that the world's going to get saved en masse prior to the return of the Lord. That's generally dominionism, which is, oh yeah, we're going to evangelize the world, and we know that the world's going to be evangelized, but the, but the, world, the, the word of God throughout the entire word speaks of a remnant, speaks of a remnant. And he says here, he's going to speak pompous words, he's going to persecute the saints again, that he's going to intend to change times and laws, doesn't mean he succeeds, but he's going to intend, that's the arrogance of another coming against God's whole creation plan, and then he talks about, then the saints shall be given into his hand, which again is martyrdom, for a time, times, and half a time, but the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion, meaning the court of God's justice, to consume and destroy it forever. That means all the things that are happening now on earth, it's clear that the demonic realms are, have not been terminated forever yet. So these verses have not been fulfilled, it's clear. Then meaning at that time when it's taken away, when the court of God is seated and it's time for God to render um, you know, a judgment on this, then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High, the ones who have been sanctified and set apart, who have continued to say yes by his grace up to our last breath. 
His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. That is wonderful. That is absolutely wonderful. And that we have to keep our eyes focused on that, even in the days of news reporting from Israel, even if there's a success or, or something happens or, oh, there's a peace accord or, oh, we took out Hamas or, oh, this happened. Those things are good. You don't want to not rejoice in, in stopping evil and rescuing people. Those are, we, got, we want to do that. There's a tension that God has called us into in understanding where we're to be and what we're to be doing in these days. But the conclusion is going to be supernatural and spiritual. So the verse at the end of chapter 7, we said this before, um, the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom. So walking through chapter 8 now, remember Daniel, like all of us, is continuing on his own magical mystery tour. God's never not dealing with everybody. Always. He was dealing with John on the Isle of Patmos when he got the divine revelation that is called the revelation of Jesus. He was dealing with Paul up to the conclusion of his, of his life. He's going to be dealing with us. We don't want to get to a place of stagnancy. This is a pilgrimage that we're on. And so we want to learn and grow from what we already have in God, but we want to stay open and flexible to what he might be doing. Someone called me last night, a, a, a dear, uh, you know, a dear saint of God who loves, loves, loves Jesus. Just a little bit of concern because they were in something. It, it was a little, it was challenging, and I don't know enough about it to comment on it, but they were, you know, in essence calling me about this thing. And, and you know, the story again is the scriptures reveal God. They don't contain God. So there are going to be false prophets. We know that we were warned throughout, actually throughout both Testaments, but, but in the New Testament, almost every book deals with false prophecy and people are going to have agendas, spiritual agendas. We're, we're going to be seeing an outpouring that's going to be so powerful on the saints. We as saints anointed by God have to be careful, careful to continue throwing our crowns down. So as God moves on us, you start laying hands on people, then maybe your batting average is as low as mine, but I have a batting average. At least I, it's not zero over 50 years, but you know, when, if it starts increasing and manifesting and your spiritual gifts start accumulating, we have to be careful to keep throwing our crowns down, throwing our crowns down. The safe place is going to be walking in absolute humility, and a lot of what we're going through right now is to teach us that, a lot of that work. So, so Daniel's chapter 8 vision is chronologically in place after chapter 7, unlike time markers in both of these chapters that time mark both visions as having occurred prior to chapter 5. So I hope I don't confuse you there, because in 7 and 8, he says during the reign of Belshazzar, he's writing out chapter 7 and 8, but those two are very much linked. So you want to just keep a general reference as to when things are recurring. So again, we are blessed as a man whose heart is set on pilgrimage. So we're in process of maturing, and we have to extend that grace to our brethren. We have to extend it to our brethren. There might be things that our brethren are moving in that might be absolutely divine, but they're not moving in it perfectly yet. There might be some pride. There might be some misunderstanding of Scripture. I might be teaching from that place. We have to extend that grace to each other. We're not looking to divide each other. We're looking for, to unify without, without compromise, which is why you want the word in you and you want time logged with Jesus every day. Now more than ever. Time logged with Jesus. By the way, um, I'm saying it right here. So this is interesting. 
Everything you might hear from teachers and preachers, prophets and songwriters, counselors and elders likely is not all they're going to be learning. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Maintain a prayer life. Stick it. Stay in the Word of God. Become obsessed with it. Smith Wigglesworth, the guy who said, you know, consume the Word of God till it consumes you, this man raised the dead. He, if you read Smith Wigglesworth, you'll see he's not a theologian at all. Clearly not. But he raised the dead. He did some powerful things. He, there were some of his prophecies that have come to pass over the years. He was an amazing man of God. What God's called you to in the way of your ministry, that's between you and him. But, but nobody really will succeed better by having a, um, a cursory knowledge of the word of God and a casual prayer life. It's just not intended. Pray without ceasing and study to show yourselves approved. These are general admonitions to every saint, especially in these days. And I want to say this, I actually bring it up twice, but thank you to several people who've just who've called recently, one being General Pat, but who called recently how God has been working in you, some of it in part through what we're you know, discussing here, that we're getting a general framework for what's happening. So, you know, a lot even saints, when you sit with saints who are not don't you know say, well, I'm not worried about, you know, again, pan millennialists, it's gonna work out, just keep my eyes on him. But they have no grid, they get stuck in the conversation, they have no answers. And, and we are here to the best of our ability to be able to speak truth into people. So prior to Thanksgiving, I was asked to speak in L.A. and uh, two, two different services. One, our prophetic worship, which is key, of course, to the conclusion of the age, but what's happening on earth in these days and what's happening in Israel because people want to know. The Lord's highlighting things. I mean, the, when the news is telling us things that align with Scripture, it should be speaking to our hearts heavily. Very, very heavily. So we're not going to be headed into Daniel 9 this morning. We're going to be taking this bunny trail, but I'm going to take sort of a long one into Isaiah 26. <clears throat> but it goes point to point with what we're discussing in Daniel, what we have looked at in the past, in the last few chapters, and going forward. I also want to encourage you in the PDF that I sent you earlier this week about from Dan Bruce, Bruce's book, he has a tremendous historical um, accounting of the events that coordinate perfectly with Daniel 10 and Daniel 11. Stunning. I mean, stunning historical um, confirmation of the accuracy of the man Daniel. It, it, it's amazing what he did. I so appreciate that. But I want to look at what's happening. I want to frame this within context of Scripture here. Isaiah 26, and we're going to go all the way down to Isaiah 28. 28 actually ends with line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, and he talks about, it's actually a harsh word of correction again for Israel, but this, this is some of the context that um, precedes that. <clears throat> and he's talking about the conclusion of the age. And then oftentimes, like we'll see, we've seen in our Isaiah studies in the past or other places, sometimes they'll tell you something that it will happen in the far future, and the next few chapters seem out of order, but it's basically a prophetic backtrack saying, here's how we will get to what I just told you. Some of that is here. For behold, the Lord comes out of his, this is Isaiah 26, 21. For behold, don't miss it, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. So we know immediately here that um, it hasn't happened yet. 
in, uh, don't ask me why that one is there, by the way. In that day, the Lord, with his severe sword, great and strong, will punish Leviathan, which is another beast analogy, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, that twisted serpent. He will slay the reptile that is in the sea. In that day, oh, I see where it is. It's that 27. one. 27. 21. No, 21. No, forget it. Don't try to justify it. <laughs> Just don't justify my typos. <clears throat> in that day, now he talks about a restoration of Israel. In that day, sing to her a vineyard of red wine. I, the Lord, keep it. I water it every moment, lest any hurt it. I keep it night and day. Fury is not in me. This is not God's heart. The heart of God is a heart of love. He is at war, as Mike Bickle says so aptly, he is at war against everything that wars against God. He's at war against everything that wars against holiness and love. So he says, I'm not, my, my MO is not fury, although he has exhibited his fury in the past and he will exhibit it in the future. Because he's basically saying, I really don't have a battle that's uh, worthy of me in many ways. He says, fury is not in me. Who would set briars and thorns against me in battle? I would go through them and <laughs> burn them together. He says, I would just stomp right through this. I am that sovereign and magnificent. At the conclusion of the age, the battle is not going to be um, even, it's not going to be an even match of our Savior coming against the, the worst demonic resistance the world has ever seen. Or let him take hold of my strength that he may make peace with me and he shall make peace with me. Let him embrace who I am and make peace with me. But that's not going to happen. We know the conclusion of the whole story. And then he goes down to verse um, 6. Those who come, he shall cause to take root in Jacob. He's talking about a, a, a bringing back, a return of Israel to their land. And we've seen one, of course, in the, in the 1940s. And we've seen God protect and defend Israel from 1940s all the way through to now. But they're not saved. If you spent a day in Israel, you know they're not saved yet. There's salvation occurring but they're not saved. Those who come, he shall cause to take root in Jacob. Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. Has he, and then he goes on, he's saying, in dealing with Israel over the course of all these centuries, has he struck Israel as he struck those who struck him? Or has he been slain according to the slaughter of those who were slain by him? In measure, by sending it away, you contended with it. He removes it by his rough wind in the day of the east wind. He's dealing with Israel differently than he's dealt with any other nation ever. He's taken out civilizations. He's destroyed them. He's dealt with Israel differently. He, remember Amos 3, you alone I've known of all the people. Therefore, I will have to discipline you differently. But he's, he's never made a complete end of Israel. There, there are civilizations where nothing exists anymore. So God is dealing with them differently because he's made a promise to Abraham, which is critical for us to understand because even in these days, we are going to see replacement theology spring up again. It's still here. But people, a lot of people would be inclined to say, well, Israel's out. Look, they're not saved and, they're, and they've had an opportunity. And so therefore, God has replaced Israel with the Gentile, primarily Gentile church and a few Jews who happen to show up in the Gentile church. That's not true. Paul is very, very clear about that. He was adamant about it in the book of Romans. You can read Romans 10 and 11 and see that, is that there's a restoration that will occur to Israel, and we're, going to, we're looking at that here. And he says, In measure by sending it away, you contended with it. He removes it by his rough wind in the day of his east wind. It's interesting that most of the enemies of Israel classically come out of the east. Therefore, by this... In, 
the iniquity of Jacob will be covered, and this is all the fruit of taking away his sin. This is the spirit of burning. This is actually the painful cleansing work that God is calling Israel into in these days to get them to cry out to their Messiah. Doesn't mean we don't help Israel. Doesn't mean we don't pray for Israel. But there's a tough work. We have some house guests who are actually traveling today, ministering, but they asked me some questions early morning this week and saying, I knew I could ask you this. And I didn't present it as that I know everything. I certainly don't. But I said, no, Israel needs salvation right now. We need to be praying for the salvation of the Jewish people. And please remember, half of them are in America. So we're not just playing for Israel in Israel. We're playing for Israel, the people, the Jewish people, because God has made a covenant with the Jewish people. And it's critical to the final conclusive, um, the cohesive echad of the whole family of God for the Jewish people to come in. <coughs> And God will do a sovereign work there. Then I'm going to skip down here um, in the next chapter, which 28. 28. Thank you, Robin. Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim. He's referring to Israel right now. He's referring to the, he uses oftentimes in scripture, Ephraim as the biggest, strongest tribe. And he says, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which is at the head of the verdant green valleys, to those who are overcome with wine. So basically saying they're drunk on life. They're drunk on life. Behold, the Lord is a mighty and strong one, a nation that he's going to call against them, like a tempest of hail and a destroying storm, like a flood of mighty waters overflowing, who will bring them down to the earth with his hand. The crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim, will be trampled underfoot, and the glorious beauty is a fading flower, which is at the head of the green verdant valley, like the first fruit of the summer, which an observer sees. He eats it up while it is still in his hand." In that day, the Lord of hosts, God's warrior name, when he presents himself as Lord Almighty to the entire world and vindicates his people and rescues his people and delivers his people, and they've called upon his name, will be for a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people. It's a remnant work. And people could say, well, how many Jews were killed during the Holocaust? Six million, and every Jew on earth now constitutes a remnant. That's true, not true. And then he says, in that day, the Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people and, in essence, for a spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment and for strength to those who turn back to battle at the gate. I believe that's us. I believe that's the price that we're willing to pay to turn back the battle of ungodliness and to have a voice and a general understanding of what God is doing right now that we say no I, I will not compromise, I cannot compromise. Remember, this is a battle of truth and lies, and it will cost us to be in this battle. And constantly, we're invited to compromise, whether it's in business or, you know, some make-believe story, that whatever, whatever's going on, we want to be very, very careful. There's going to be people, by the way, converting to other religions out of fear, converting to Islam out of fear, thinking well, it would be safer to do that. There's no safe place except in the will of God. No safe place. But they also have erred through wine, meaning the, you know, Ephraim, and through intoxicating drink or out of the way. And then he's talking about, he's looking at his people here. He's looking at the condition of Israel. And if this is the conclusion of the age, he's looking at even now, and I, I don't think anybody would really argue this truth. The priest and the prophet have erred through intoxicating drink. They're swallowed up by wine. They're out of the way with intoxicating drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. 
And now this analogy is like food and drink and vomiting on the tables like some, you know, bacchanalian you know, orgy. But he's talking spiritually here. And there's a lot happening. There's a lot of, I saw something on Facebook recently. I thought, oh my goodness, this happy picture is actually the result of a man of God having fallen so horrifically and that now his wife's remarried. And we're seeing things happen in the body of Christ, which are pitiful and heartbreaking, heartbreaking to God. And there's a lot of tearing that has gone up. And we've seen adultery. We've seen ministries where people have tried to um, own them or run them like businesses. All that's going to come down. He has to do that. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that what cannot be shaken will remain. If, we're, if you're in a ministry or in a situation that you don't belong, this is a great time to get out of it. I'm not saying leave your wife right now. I'm simply saying be holy. You, these are the days you want to be holy because everything is elevating right now and you don't want to compromise in anything. And then he goes on and he says, and this is the beginning of the whole story about line upon line, which confirms the prophetic course of events going forward, but it's also everything we do in life as the methodology of a king who's a, a god of order. Whom will he teach knowledge and whom will he make to understand the message? And he basically says the, the mature ones. So when you first get saved and you're a little bit sloppier and out of order and weird and all that stuff, that's cool. Little kid makes a greater mess than hopefully the bigger people. But he says, but you're supposed to be growing line upon line, precept, prayer upon prayer, worship time upon worship time, encounter with the Lord upon encounter with the Lord, scriptural understanding upon scriptural understanding. He's calling us to mature in these days. Absolutely. It's, it's a requirement for our safety and for our success. It's also a requirement for the ones we love. Because as everything ramps up, there's going to, I mean, people are going to be coming to you with the weirdest of questions. They're going to hear funky doctrine. There's going to be people, because since everybody's typing, writing, reading, meeting, posting, there's so much. I mean, people, I can't tell you how much stuff I get, and I have to apologize to people. I'm sorry, I can't click this two-hour something or one hour this or sometimes 15-minute things, and, and I'm missing a lot of really funny little quippy jokes that people send because I don't have time. That, my life is not processing and redistributing either entertainment or even education, and it's not yours either. And we have to be really careful about that. We want to fact check and we want to say, God, is this for me? Is this for someone else? If it's not, we're not here. That's, that's not kingdom living, redistributing more noise. So we just want to be careful there. So before we go forward, we're actually going forward in a sort of a different way by going back to last session. So we considered the four beasts of, Dan of chapter 8 in Daniel and compared them to the imagery of chapter 7. And we read and understood that God in his good mercy provided Daniel and through Daniel provides us intel sufficient for a successful living. Peter, the fisherman, said everything that pertains to godliness is functionally on the table. It's a question of which table we sit at and how much time we want to spend really um, feasting on what God's called us to feast on in these days. And what our priority is as far as information, data in, time invested. And so he's doing that. And he's saying the intel, we're told, of the many things purposely remaining sealed. So part of God's intel is telling us everything's sealed, which is sort of like weird. You're thinking, well, if you really want me to know, why, are you, why don't you just tell me now? Paul said, now the manifold, you know, the, these mysteries of God are being revealed uh, to the world, to the angels and principalities by the church. Or he talks about the Gentiles coming in. He says, that mystery, Christ in the Gentile church, the hope of glory. 
He says, there are things that once they're revealed are not mysteries, but there's still mysteries still in place. There's still things we don't know. And so they're remaining sealed, not so that we can play the ignorance card again, but later during the course of our, the journey of mankind through this age, I believe this thing's being revealed day by day now. And we might not be able to like pinpoint it to a scripture, but there are things that are fomenting. There's things that are changing. I mean, there's, 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 there's more of a discussion. I remember when the towers came down and, and people I know and love and respect wanted to research and say, well, is Allah really not is just their name for the same God? But, you know, sort of like a wake-up call. <clears throat> Maybe do some research. Maybe look and see how did this happen. When did it occur? When was it written? When was the, when was the Quran written? What, how did, who, who, who was inspired to write it and why? And, and where was he at in his walk, in his life? And was he a holy man? And so God's progressively taking us forward. So there's things that we know now that we didn't know in 2001. So we have to understand that, that this is a line upon line and precept upon precept, but it's to get us not to a place of complete knowledge, it's to get us to a place of complete surrender, that we get to that understanding. Also, so it's going to be in the course of the journey, and it's also going to be between the time of Daniel and the time of the end of the age, because that, for Daniel, there was another you know, block, what, 25, 26, 2700 years between Daniel and us, those things we could check off. So we, you know, then we went into Matthew 24, and we read this you know, several times during the study. Let's see if I have it here. Okay, this is cool. So Daniel himself, the man, and Daniel the book, the book of Daniel in Scripture, has been subjected to so much accusation, it's unbelievable. It's been criticized. It's been, you know, people have written more books about Daniel longer than the book of Daniel. There's an accusation of falsehood, it's timing. Nobody could be that accurate in their prophecy. They question whether Daniel was even a prophet worthy of a prophetic esteem. So I did a little research on it. So you can go to Torah.org, which, trust me, is a Jewish site. And you could, and I just typed in um, books of the Jewish scriptures, because I've spoken on this many times. Here's how they're laid out in the, in the Jewish scriptures. In the five books of, of the Pentateuch, or the Chumash, the five books of Moses, we have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then we have the eight books, which is considered like premier. That's like Torah, when they say it. The word Torah is used for the whole book, but those, those are the books of Moses. And then there's eight books of the prophets, which is the Nevi'im, and it's funny because one book is Joshua, Judges, Samuel, three of them, Kings, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Then the last book is the 12 minor prophets sort of lumped together, bundled together. And then held at a lower esteem are the 11 books of the writings, the Kesuvim. And in there is Daniel. In there is Daniel. He doesn't make it. He didn't make the cut. He didn't make the cut because he's so prophetically accurate pointing to the arrival of the Savior. And he's so prophetically accurate about the end of the age. And he's so prophetically accurate in even, um, uh, you know, uh, confirming the, the writings of the revelation of Ezekiel and, and so many other prophets that this assembly of Jewish writings took place after the crucifixion. There's a massive battle to keep this book shut down, or at least discounted, or diluted. Excuse me, say that again. What's written after? 
the the assembly the the book was okay. written prior, okay, okay. but the assembly of the book into this format okay. was written by rabbis still trying to clean up the mess of saying, let his blood be on our hands. And of Jesus referring to Daniel as a prophet. Yes. And, da and Jesus said, Daniel the prophet. Is that wild? Mm -hmm. Okay, here we go. Let me get back here. I just thumb my way into pages up here. Okay, where are you? Here we go. Okay. So the prominence of Daniel is unquestionable to anybody who's praying and studying and pressing in to the fullness of God in these times and even researching biblically or online even of the things that are, have occurred and the things that will be occurring. And what we're covering in this session pertains to, the, this is a press-in preparedness season for the saints right now. I mean, the saints are being martyred around the world and we're not seeing that yet here but we're seeing it. This is a season of us pressing. This is us learning to, this is a season to learn to um, reduce your response time. This is a season to be pressing into the place of prayer. This is a season to be hearing God, to listening clearly, to maybe dialing down some of the other things in your life. There's a lot of changes going on in our lives. Some has to do with age and, and other things, but a lot of it has to do with the fact that I'm just feeling more of a tug more of a tug of the Lord in the way of ministry and there's more things happening and more people want to hear things and, and want an opinion or something like that and, and I know that I have a certain level of understanding but I don't understand as much as I want to understand. Sometimes I feel extremely inadequate. So we're pressing in. So earlier this week I spent time with Dan Bruce and he changed the name of his site to Good News for Jews which is great. <laughs> <laughs> it really is, because this man is a Gentile man, loves the Jewish people, understands the call. Talk about a hook. Good news for Jews. I want that side. That's great. Great idea. Totally. So, but this is interesting, though, and I love this guy. I mean, we're like phone friends. But there, it's funny. This is the first three paragraphs of his website, and this is his website, by the way. That's the link. And on there, you could. there's things that there might be some free things on there. There's things that are bargain downloads. You could download the whole book of uh, uh, Unsealing Daniel for $5. I mean, the guy's amazing. He's an amazing, amazing man. Here are the first three paragraphs. We're going to analyze them a little because what is going on with him and through him um, is actually part of our walk, our personal experience now as well. So he says here, um, welcome to the Bible Information and Outreach website of the Prophecy Society, your place on the internet dedicated to examining the predictive prophecies preserved in the Tanakh, the Old Testament, and Berit Hadashah, which is the Hebrew for the words New Testament, and explaining their exact fulfillments as documented in the pages of secular history, always with this focus in mind to the Jews first and also to the Gentiles. So he, that's what he wrote. There are two types of predictive prophecies, and this is Daniel Bruce writing. It would have been easier if his name was Wally, because then you know if I'm talking about the book or the guy who wrote it, but this is Dan Bruce. So I will not call the book of Daniel Dan, okay, and I will not call Dan Bruce Daniel. D, yeah. There are two types of predictive prophecies in the Bible, namely those prophecies that have already been fulfilled by the events of history, and thus can be understood. Amen. But we can't fully understand them necessarily because it's a complex thing, but I totally agree, which is the kind we deal with here on this website. Then there are prophecies that have yet to, be, yet to see fulfillment 
and thus cannot be fully understood until they are fulfilled. So we, we don't even try to under, interpret those. Okay, I'll comment on that later. The good news is that the sealed prophecies, meaning still sealed, in the book of Daniel, oh no, he's saying that all, this is his part, yeah, this is his lens. The good news is that the sealed prophecies in the book of Daniel have been unsealed for this generation by God, work, working his will through the people of Israel. The return of Jewish sovereignty over the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, exactly when the prophecy in Daniel 8, 13, and 14, which was the uh, evening morning prophecy had foretold that event would happen was the key and then he, he in parentheses Dan Bruce says read about how it happened on June 7th 1967 I sent you the excerpt of the PDF literally for that part of his book and it's in there and it's profound and what first hooked me onto Dan Bruce originally many years ago now was he was talking about chrono specificity, meaning the timing would be accurate. It wouldn't be well round or about. Now we know there's vague things in scripture like 400 years in Egypt and there's depending upon where you look in scripture and how you measure the oppression of Egypt, of Israel in Egypt, were they physically in the land 400 years? Maybe not. So I know there's some of that. But Dan's saying that I, and you know this as a, you guys knowing me, I've been obsessed with timing for the last 40 years of my 50-year walk with the Lord, to, and I've had some insanely chrono-specific events in my life over and over and over again, from patent numbers to clocks and watches to license plate frames to what I've just, that's what God's called me into, an awareness of that, and, and again, I say this in humility, but also warning all of us, including myself, don't exaggerate those things and don't miss them. Don't exaggerate them and don't miss them. Don't don't sit there and park and that's the one event of your life, and at the same and don't own it and don't make it bigger than it was. But I believe we're going to be seeing an outpouring that's so profound in these days. We're going to get rocked by the supernatural. But it's going to play out and manifest as how we live our natural lives here on earth. This is the testimony. This is the light in the dark place. So I love Dan. That's his particular calling. And he's been pressing in like wild, like crazy. And, and he's faithful. And what I sent you, the work, you know, is it, a totally historical confirmation of events in the book of Daniel, especially chapters 10 and 11, which we will read through. And I'll probably sort of like cite bullet points from Dan's notes there. Dan Bruce's notes. But again, the prophet Daniel is batting a thousand so far. From what we can see, he's batting a thousand. Meanwhile, he says there's two types of prophecies. Those prophecies, Dan Bruce again, they've already been fulfilled by the events of history and thus can be understood. Clearly, when they're clear, they can be understood. Clearly, when they're clear. There are certain things, and I've said this to you before, and I have it later, so I'll get, to, when I, well, I'll say it now and then I'll skip over it hopefully later to this morning, is that just because something has happened does not restrict God from doing it again or something similar or even greater again, even though you, quote, would check it off if this was a spreadsheet that we're looking at, a prophetic spreadsheet. If something definitely has not happened, it definitely will happen. Now, again, the flood is a perfect example where God said, I won't destroy the entire world by a flood a second time, but he's destroyed other small segments of the world by floods because that's not what he agreed to. He didn't, he didn't covenant with us not to do that. But at the same time, just because you do not know something happened doesn't mean it didn't happen. 
And God's not accountable to you to visit you in the night watch and explain the Battle of Granicus. The Battle of Granicus is Dan Bruce in his wild historic research saw that as a timing marker and started counting Passovers, which took, which took him to the half tracks coming onto the temp, up to the Temple Mount. So we want to hold very lightly, um, like if someone gives you something, say, look, this happened, here's point A and here's point B, and if you draw a straight line between point A and point B, we could check off a prophecy. I would be very careful there. This is, I think this is like the wisdom I, I say in, when it says 666. I think the wisdom in Revelation is keep your mouth shut until we know more. Clearly, the Lord could have given you his, the guy's DNA. He could have given us the guy's DNA. He could have said exactly which nation. He could have said the year he was going to be born. He could have said also, could have, whatever. He called Cyrus by name way before he was born. So he's able to do those things. And when he hides something or cloaks something, it's to keep us pressing in. So Dan Bruce's careful mathematical analysis of the Passover counting to arrive at June 7, 1967, okay, and counting Passover's past all the way back to the Battle of Granicus between Alexander the Great of Macedon and the Persian emperor of the Archimedes Empire of Persia in 337. Seven is nothing short, BC is nothing short of profound. It's profound. And things shifted there. But everything did shift, and all of Israel has not gotten holy in that event. Not, that didn't happen in 1967. There's a lot of shifts that have to occur in Israel now that we're still waiting on. Otherwise, October 7th wouldn't have happened. So we have to touch these things lightly, hold them lightly, bank on the Word of God, and bank on what we understand. One of our pastors used to say, we already know more than we're doing. We already know that. So in humility and knowing Dan, I, you know, there's a couple of things here. I'm going to go back and read what he said again. Then there were prophecies that we have yet to see fulfillment and thus cannot be fully understand until they're filled. So we don't even try to interpret those. I don't know that that's wrong to try. And I don't think we want to walk, and I know him, I mean, I know his walk, I, I've had conversations with him about the supernatural events that I, I think, I'm not trying to compare myself to him, but I, I, it just seems like my life is at a little more of that, and he's had more of this historical prophetic revelation, I'm me, he's him. I mean, that's the way it works, we're different one from the next, and, and I've seen things happen that... I think he's, he said to me about a year or two ago, he goes, I think we might be in the last days, last times. I said, yeah. I said, yeah. I mean, he has this whole thing and he's talking about these events, but there's things that have not yet happened that seem like, according to what, let's see if I can get to the book of Mark here. Yes. Um, what Jesus told us in the book of Mark that require us to hold the prophecies of Daniel as not yet fully fulfilled or not yet maybe even fully revealed. So I've spoken about partial and complete fulfillment. I said that. You know, I also believe that God, because he's so amazing and always does marvelous things, might put a surprise spin on much of what the church thinks. Dan, uh, Dan Bruce's, uh, that excerpt I gave you, he, he even gives a couple of examples of different groups of uh, believers and what they believe. 
There are churches who, like if you read, I always quote Haggai 2, 6, and 7, yet once more a little while, I'll shake heaven and earth to see and dry land, and I'll draw the nations to the desire of nations. Robert and I were reading that in, what, eight, ten different translations, and it talks about the wealth of the nations coming in. They use the word hemda instead of the desire, meaning what I take as being the Savior, as saying the nations at the end, a remnant, will bring their wealth to the king, which is very, very classically biblical culture. And so, you know, I think I got it right. I think I got Haggai 2, 6, and 7 right. I think it coordinates with Daniel 12 when he talks about the shaking work on earth. And, and there's people coming to the Savior. It's not about God needing the jewels of earth. But a lot of people who interpret Scripture differently. So then he says, Dan Bruce says, the good news is that the sealed prophecies in the book have been unsealed for this generation. I don't know that they've all been unsealed. And let me show you why. There's, and this is my opinion. Mark 13, which coordinates with Matthew 24 and Luke 21. So when you see, this is Jesus talking, because they had asked him about the destruction of the temple, and they'd asked him about his return appearance. And these are the verses in, in, the, uh, in the Matthew 24 account that um, include the whole story of Euthios immediately after that. Jesus shows up, but he says, when you see... Now, remember the abomination of desolation, which again is historically fulfilled in Antiochus in the Old Testament. That had happened long before Jesus is sitting on this hill talking with his disciples. So, so this is not the abomination of desolation of Antiochus. This is yet to occur. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let the reader understand, and that's, I believe, the key, is that there's, there's the, un, the opening here at that time. Then let those who are in Judea book, get out of there, flee to the mountains. And then, um, then I, all these things, I believe, didn't occur in 1967. Let him who was on his house stop not go down into the house, nor enter to take anything out of his house. Let those who are in the field not go back to get his clothes. Woe to those who were pregnant and those who were nursing in those days, although there were probably people doing that during that conflict day. I understand it was massive trouble. Pray that your flight may not be in winter. For in those days, if this is 1967, th this did not happen. In those days there will be tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the creation. Which created, excuse me? Yeah, the Holocaust was way worse than that, yes. Which God created until this time nor ever shall be. That coordinates with the book of Daniel about the end of the age, the very end, the conclusive final battles. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. Then, then, at that time, if someone says, look, here's Christ, look, here's the Messiah, don't believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show shine, signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. That's for us. That's a wake-up call for us. We're going to see signs and wonders. And one of the jeopardies about a sanitized church who wants to avoid these things or teach or preach or act as if those days are over is going to be their people being deceived when they see signs of wonders performed by the, the ones who are satanically influenced. Remember what happened when the story with Moses before Pharaoh and we had a battle of the rods. So we're, called to be, we're going to be called to be walking in great authority and great power and great humility in those days. And then he says, in those days after that trouble, 
The sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall with the, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then, at that time, they'll see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send his angels, gather together his elect from four winds, from the farthest part of earth to the farthest part of heaven. That, has, that didn't happen in 1967. It didn't happen when Israel was founded. We're waiting for these things to occur. We're still waiting. So a broad statement on either everything sealed up, which I don't believe, but everything being unsealed, which I have to question, we'd have to keep our eyes on Jesus. We could literally be obsessed with prophetic understanding. Some things will be sealed up. It doesn't mean we don't press in. It doesn't mean you don't read, you don't study, you don't converse. But our eyes better be on Jesus. The world is groaning. The creation is groaning, waiting for a revelation of the spirit-led sons and daughters of God. Not just believers. There's way more believers than there are spirit-led people. And God's calling us to that place of being, becoming more sensitized to what he's doing by the moment. Being more sensitized. So here's what I want to talk to this morning. How do you like that? What time is it now? It's already late. It's 11. Okay. <clears throat> I'm of the mind that the shroud of mystery regarding the what's and when's of this great divine drama, including parts of the book of Daniel, seem to me to remain a bit sealed up. That's my opinion. And but it appears to be unsealing day by day. This is how God has always appeared to work. This is both a testimony revelation of how God has worked <clears throat> and works and I believe will work. And we know in Malachi, he says, I don't change. So his operational characteristics have not changed ever. He's always been holy. He's not changed his mind on holiness. He's not, and none of that. But listen to what Isaiah says about this. And I would recommend, and I'm thinking we might go back and read Isaiah when we finish the book of Daniel teaching. Isaiah 48. Hear this, O house of Jacob. He's talking to Israel. Who are called by the name of Israel. Who have come forth from the wellspring of Judy. We know exactly who he's talking to. Judah. Judy. What did I say, Judy? Judy. Judy. Yeah. Who have come forth from, hey Jude, who have come forth from the wellsprings of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth or in righteousness. So he's talking to a collective of Jewish people, Jewish blooded people, who are speaking Jewishness, if you will, but it's not in truth or in righteousness, for they call themselves after the holy city and lean on the God of Israel, the Lord of hosts is his name. And he's saying this as a rebuke to them here, but this is a word for us to understand as well. I have declared the former things from the beginning. They went forth from my mouth and I caused them to hear it. Suddenly I did them and they came to pass because I knew that you, my people, my covenant people were obstinate and your neck was like an iron sinew. You were like stiff necked and your brow bronze. Even from the beginning, I've declared it to you. Before it came to pass, I proclaimed it to you, lest you should say my idol has done them. In other words, he's saying, had prophets done certain things in the past before I did them, you would have ascribed that to your false gods. That's how whack this world is. That's literally how whack this world is. This is like people writing a book 800 years after the scriptures and saying our book trumps that book because that book wasn't accurate. God's always been accurate because God is true. This is, it's, it's unbelievable. And so he's saying, I had to deal with you because you're so stiff 
net and you so want to embrace the false gods of this world and the false idols and the false religions. He says in some of the rebukes in Ezekiel, he says to the people, has any nation ever turned in their, cast in their gods for a new god? He goes, only my people are doing that? You know, in Hosea, when the prophet is told to marry a harlot, he says, this is going to represent my marriage to the people of Israel. Doesn't mean he doesn't love him. He's in Isaiah, in Hosea, he's calling him back. But he's saying, you would have taken credit for it. He goes, and my carved image and my molded image have commanded him. He goes, God's saying, no, I did it suddenly. There was suddenly, it had to occur in the history of the Jewish people because he, saw, cause he says, because you're so religiously boneheaded and you're so busy, so, um, busy worshiping demons, deceptive demons, that you would have taken credit saying, oh, my demon talked about it. Then he says, you have heard, see all this, and will you not declare it? I have made you, you hear new things from this time. He goes, I'm going to do some new things. I'm telling you, Isaiah's telling you this. This is not Moses. This is not Torah. He says, I, I, you know, the first five books. I have made you hear new things from this time, even hidden things which you did not know. They, they're created now, and because he continues to be creative, and which challenges us as to something that we might not understand, by the way. Less, and before this day, you've not heard them, lest you should say, of course, I knew them. Is that crazy? I take that forward for a minute and just in humility speculate on what God might be doing between now and his return. Is he going to create new things? Is he going to do new things that will coordinate and correspond to his holiness? It's never going to be a breach of holiness. It's never going to breach anything. But I could see this happening right now. I can see God doing things that would set some of the people who made a lot of money selling a lot of books, backtracking, thinking, well, I thought I had that one right. Mm -hmm. I, we just want to be careful. They're created now, not from the beginning, lest before this day you've not, you, and before this day you've not heard them, lest you should say, of course I knew them. Surely you did not hear. Surely you did not know. Surely from long ago year was not opened, for I knew that you would deal very treacherously and were called the transgressor from the womb. Then God, via Isaiah, he goes on to say to Israel that they're his people and that it could have gone better for you over the course of time if you hadn't had preachers and rabbis and teachers and leaders and kings feeding you lies. <clears throat> oh, that you had heeded my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your descendants also would have been like the sand. And the offspring of your body, like the grains of sand, his name would not have been cut off nor destroyed from before me. Whoa. That encapsulates some of the revelation of Ezekiel 39. Why did they suffer these things? Why did they fall by the sword? Why were they led away captive time and time again through both testaments? He goes, oh, these things would have happened. And what did Paul tell us? He tells us in Corinthians, these things were written for our admonition so that we don't go wacko. Like, oh, we're saints of, we got Jesus now. You know, it says in Hebrews, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That comes out of Moses. That comes out of Deuteronomy. Go back and read that whole chapter in, in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, tell me what you think. So, I've told you beforehand in Mark 23, when, he talk, when, when, when Jesus is talking as in Mark 12, 20, 13, 23, we read it earlier, I've told you beforehand that things are going to come down. He's saying, don't get deceived. 
Understand that we're not called to be deceived in these days. To, you know, the Satan's going to have, going to do things on earth to, to deceive, if possible, even the elect. That, if possible, is quite frankly up to us. That's the call on the saints in these days that we press in. The false prophets and false teachers and false everyone else in church and out of church will continue to proliferate. Our eyes must remain fixed on the author and finish of our faith. My eyes. I tell you, I read so much stuff. My eyes are burning at the end of the day. Sometimes I just have to sit at my desk and close my eyes. I'm, I hardly drive at night anymore, really. But there's so much I thought, I have to keep my eyes on, I have to keep my eyes on Jesus. This is an extremely spiritual thing that we're in. This is not an educational program. This is not just learning books or other people's thoughts on, on God. This is a, an experience. This is an experiential gospel that will coordinate with the word of God and has to. So if you're in a place and you're hearing things that maybe don't yet make sense to you or maybe they're true but they're presented awkwardly or something like that, just process it. You're not going to get slimed. You will not get slimed but have the word of God in you and pray, 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 pray. And again, I'm talking about General Pat here again, but he found himself because of who he is and the position he has, he found himself ministering to people who were involved with this, uh, with this recent captivity in Israel. And he had, and, and he had a little, he had a, he has a good grip of scripture. He had, he's had a good grip of scripture before Saturday mornings, not taking credit for it. I'm simply saying we're going forward in our understanding. We're called into those places. God is going to call us to stand before kings. And this is why we want this in us. This is our calling on earth. Not necessarily to be a teacher, but to speak truth and humility and have a lifestyle, the testimony of holiness these days. Not to get wrapped around the axle with bitterness or unforgiveness or accusation or judgment calls or exercising the gift of criticism, which doesn't exist. We have to be really careful these days. We have to call a spade a spade. We have to turn back the enemy at the gate. We have to, we have to in humility, challenge each other things with your Bible open. But we have to be careful. And here's what we're being taught to do. This is why, because of Hosea, listen to this. I, this used to be my license plate for a season when we were in L.A. There's, you know, there's a promise outpouring in the book of Joel, which I talk about every week, and we are finishing up here, by the way. But there's a promised outpouring that's going to be significant. When they started praying in tongues in the upper room, and everybody thought they were drunk, and the fisherman comes and says, oh, no, this is the outpouring of Joel, and he starts quoting scripture, more like a rabbi than a, uh, than a fisherman, but he starts quoting. that The book of Joel's three chapters. They're a good, healthy read in these days, but it has to do with a preparation for us to understand of us getting into position for the outpouring. Now, if you know anything about farming or, or gardening, and I know neither, but I know this much, that if there's going to be a rainstorm and it's been dry and your land is parched, really hard packed, the best thing you do is take a pickaxe to that land and, and beat it to pieces, break it open, so that when the floods come and the rains come, it could soak down in and get all the way down to the root and you could get the most, the, you can maximize the experience. That is common sense. Hosea 10, 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness. You do it. Reap in mercy. That'll be the reward. Break up your personal fallow ground. Now, thank you, God, that we have a Savior who will examine us when we ask. Break up your own fallow ground. 
for it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and rains righteousness on you. Break up your own fallow ground. This is the time to be doing that. These are the days we're living in. And here's what the word of God is to the praying people of God. We our hearts for his people. This is so cool. Remember, we looked at this uh, study or two ago. This is talking, I believe, to the saints who are reading their Bibles now. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Your God, and but his people, Israel. Who could he be talking to but the primarily Gentile church? I, just, I don't see any other group. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. Well, that hasn't happened yet, clearly. For she's received from the Lord's hand in his sovereignty double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That was ascribed to John the Baptist, which is true, but it's still sitting here pregnant with the fulfillment of the entire chapter. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Hasn't happened yet. Did happen in the days of John the Baptist. We're waiting for this. The whole, the glory of God, all flesh, everybody alive is going to see it. It's all going to happen. In LA, I spoke the priority of God for Israel, and I want to talk about this just a little here before we conclude. And we're really close to concluding, so stick stick with me. What's occurring in Israel and but will be felt by the whole earth because the greater revealed plan of God according to scripture is a test for the saints of God. It's going to be the whole earth. It's ground zero is Israel. It's not the World Trade Center. It's not LA. It's not Moscow. It's going to be Israel. How we respond to the circumstances in the place of knowing the biblical plan of God is critical for the, the salvation of the whole world. The idea, someone said to me, yes, and the whole world has not yet been fully evangelized. We want to be busy about that business and simply making sure the last guy gets it. It's not a checkoff like God's waiting behind a, uh, a rodeo gate to come riding out into the arena. That's not how it works. But we, we want to evangelize the world, but we, God's will is not none perish. But the focus is Israel. The focus is Israel. The focus is Israel. I said this before, and I confirmed it again through a couple of emails and phone calls to Israel two weeks ago, but I want to read this to you. In Genesis 12, I don't know why the scriptures translate it this way. Even, it's crazy. It says, I will, in the Hebrew, it says, those who bless Israel, I will bless. Those who curse Israel, I will curse. But even there, the words are not the same word. The, the I will bless is Baruch, like Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech Halam, you know, Baruch Abba Shem Adonai, bless, Baruch is blessed, clearly, no argument. I will bless those who bless you, Abraham. God's saying that to him, coming out of his mouth. It's not coming back. But he says, I will arar him who kalals you. Who, those who kalal you, I will arar, is what it says in Hebrew. That's the construction of a sentence. The word curse, arar, is literally curse, like, just like we know. No one named the mountain Ararat, curse reversed. It was a do-over because God had basically wiped sin off the earth. And of course, Noah goes and he has some issues right away himself. It's the atmosphere in which we're living. We'll bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. But it's actually saying, I will curse those who treat you lightly. What he's actually saying in the word kalal, kalal would be in, uh, in 21st century slang, it would be dissing. 
if you don't if you don't regard Israel at the same level of respect and honor and covenant that I do, there's a curse on you. That would almost mean half the church. Replacement theology, preaching that is invoking a curse. Taking Israel lightly or thinking they're not important to the plan of God or that he's abandoned the people that he's covenant with is, is invoking a curse of sorts. This so elevates the bar. This so elevates the bar for us as to what we see as our prayer. It doesn't mean the Jews are saved automatically, but they're covenant people. And his ways are not our ways, and we have to find our way through that. In dealing with them about their sin, I have a lot of Jewish friends, family, I, a lot of Jewish folk in my life. I have to deal with them very carefully, very lovingly. Of course I do. But at the same time, I have, I'm very straightforward about what I say. And you have to be too. So here's the affirmation of, you know, Peter is, when the upper room has a mighty outpouring, which lit the fuse on an anointed church, which should be, I believe, in many ways more anointed, but God's lighting it yet now. Joel 2, 15 through 17. And of course, um, he says here, blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly. Make some noise about it. Gather the saints together, basically. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing babes. Here's inconvenience for you. Here's priority for you. Let the children and gather the children and nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine having booked a venue and you practiced for six months or eight months or, or, or prepared for whatever, and someone blows a trumpet and everybody leaves and they go to the mountain of God? He's setting up a priority for why we're here. The children, the nursing page, well, but the nursing page, what are they going to understand? I didn't ask you what they're going to understand. I said, bring them. Take them out of the crib. Take them out of the cradle. Put down their, their iPads. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep. Let the attitude of the ministers be one of mercy, crying out for mercy. We are kings and priests now. We're called that. We know that. We're told that by Peter. We're told that in the book of Revelation. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. This should be the heart of intercession for the saints right now. This is our priority. Not the wedding, not the picnic, not the football game, not the bike ride, not the promotion, not the new house, not the, not the, not the. Doesn't mean we don't have lives and we don't live them here. We do. But when you're praying, you could rest in the fact that you're in his will. And do not give your heritage to reproach. This should be our, our cry for Israel. God, don't give your heritage to reproach. That the nation should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? That is what the nations have been saying for thousands of years about the, the Jewish people. Where's their God? If he's so mighty, why didn't he rescue them from the Holocaust? How come I took them into Babylon for 70 years? How come I ruled over them? How come, how come, how come, how come? How come the pogroms? How come what happened October 7th? Where was God? That's the big question. Talk to Jewish people. Where was God? But the whole story, and we're probably going to go back and look at Deuteronomy 27 through 31 over the course of the next couple of weeks too. I want to address what Daniel in chapter 9, which we'll be getting into now, is referring to when he says, we breached a covenant you haven't. 
You've chosen to be bound to your covenant of holiness and righteousness. And in that covenant is a severe warning that God's not fooling around with his people. He's not fooling around with the saints. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your M.O., Lord, your, uh, how you operate. God, you're fair, you're equitable, you're merciful. You're not willing that any perish, but that all would come to repentance, God. And we ask you, God, that you would help us to walk this thing out. You would pour your spirit out upon us mightily in these days. God, again, as we are anticipating the dreams, the visions, the prophecies, the healings, the, uh, the, the mass salvations, God, we're looking for a harvest of souls in these days. We're asking you for relatives and friends, God, who have been bound in sin. Some of them are even demonized. We're asking you for deliverance, God. We need you in these days, Lord. We're not ashamed to say that, God, we're pleased to recognize that we're your people, God that you've redeemed us, God, there's a mark on us, you've, uh, your spirit uh, bears witness with our spirit that we're your sons and daughters, we bless you in this, God. And we ask again, God, I ask again, God, if anything I said was out of order or out of line with your word, God, that you would delete that from us, but everything else, God, would continue to build up this, uh, this uh, strength of faith in us, God, that we would be more determined now than ever to be surrendered to you, holy God, that you'd be glorified in our lives, God, and the lives of the people around us, God. And we bless you, Lord, as we unmute our mics, God. We want to say that word, amen, meaning and saying we're in agreement with you, God, because you're perfect. Lord, and your people said, amen. Amen. Is anybody out there saying yes to God?